Okay, thank you, thank you very much, uh, Elizabeth, for uh, uh, organizing the seminar and for inviting me to be here, and thank you, everyone. It has been a, a, a pleasure um, to join um, as a member of faculty here in Oxford in the School of Anthropology very, very recently, as of last September. Uh, so I thought uh, it would be a good idea today just to um, introduce you to what I do or what I have been done during the last almost 10 years. Actually, next year is going to be 10 years that I went to Africa for the first time uh, um, to see wild chimpanzees and to, and to start study, uh, studying stone tool use. Um, at that stage, for my, um, the beginning of my master uh, degree. And um, Elizabeth gave a very good introduction about um, my uh, background uh, and Indeed, my uh, main aim, or that my two main aims, have been um, focused on trying to understand the evolution of technological behavior. Right. So there are two main avenues of research that I have been pursuing. Uh, one is based on the the premise and on the need to understand when, by whom, and how the use of stone tools uh, emerged. And this is a very broad. Um, sort of claim, but you will understand. I will explain further uh, why we don't know about this and why is this um, uh, important. So it's quite appalling that uh, as of 2015, we don't have the answer to any of these questions, of these main questions regarding the origins of technology. We may be on the way to know a little bit more about this. Um, the second, uh, I would say, avenue of research is really understanding technology-related behaviors, which is not really focusing on studying the stone tools, the features of tools. Uh, I'm saying stone tools because I'm obviously biased here, but I, I, it can be open to all sorts of, of, of raw materials. So, uh, but also, so not looking only what tools look like in terms of the key features, or not only looking at what the possible archaeological sites of non-humans would look like, which is something that we could say is the archaeology of primates, but looking also at behaviors that are closely related uh, to technology and, for, and that we know very little about when we think about the early uh, human record. Uh, behaviors like transport, selection, etc. Uh, one of the one of the um, points that I would like to make and that I hope to make during this uh, seminar is that we have proof that technology uh, is uh, a valid avenue of research or a valid uh, option to construct referential models of technological behavior based on studying uh, extent to using primates. So some of the main questions uh, that, have, that we have been, I have been uh, pursuing during um, the, the, the last, now many years, uh, how old is hominin technology and which hominins can we really associate with the first lithic industries? Um, on the other hand, can chimpanzee behavior, and later in the talk I will explain you why I focus on chimpanzees and not in other living primates, can chimpanzee behavior help us to model processes of tool use making, but also of tool use social dynamics and site formation in the hominin fossil record? And then can we really document material cult culture in Pliocene deposits? 
and what is the role of raw material availability and quality in the emergence of uh, technology, this for uh, uh, primates in general. And if we were to find uh, tools that are older than the old one, uh, and if we find several assemblages, we, how will these tools look like? Is this uh, type of tools also going to vary, like we, uh, there will be variability, uh, and how do you, we explain this, uh, this uh, uh, variability? Uh, and so, and, and so this is uh, um, sort of wrapping up the, the, the previous question, how do pre-old one lithic assemblages differ from the old one overall? Um, some main predictions, uh, that stone tool is older than the old one. I think these predictions uh, have been um, uh, uh, general predictions that I have been uh, writing about for a few years. Stone tool use should be older than the old one. Pre-old one tool users are likely, or were likely, of several uh, species. Pounding tools were ubiquitous in the, across the whole archaeological record and crucial in the earliest assemblages. Pounding tools are the only type of stone tool uh, that you find across all different lithic industries and across all chronologies from the old one to the present in um, all over the world, but especially in Africa. Earliest assemblages varied in time and space. And uh, let's have a look at the earliest material records. So I guess uh, uh, most of you will know, but some of you may not know or may not um, know the details that stone tool use um, was, or the oldest stone tools were until very, very recently, uh, these stone tools from um, Ethiopia, Ghana, that have been said to be associ not associated, but the likely tool user has been uh, claimed to be Australopithecus gadi. These stone tools would be 2.6 million years uh, uh, old, and Australopithecus gadi was not found associated with these tools, but a few kilometers away, but is the closest, let's say, hominin species found um, that could be named uh, or associated with the assemblage. Recently, in 2010, there was a very controversial publication that uh, gave the first indirect, gave us the first indirect evidence of the existence of any type of, of technology of stone tool use not making before 2.6 million years. This was a paper that basically published two bones with percussion marks, and the percussion marks were, were, were suggested to be the product of the use of sharp uh, uh, stone tools, uh, the sharp uh, natural, likely natural stones, um, and this would place the origins or the oldest technology at least at 3.39 million years ago in the Kika, Ethiopia. Obviously, this is indirect evidence, and there, there was a lot of, there was and there is a lot of controversy regarding this finding. But more compelling find, uh, findings were published uh, in May this year uh, of a new industry called the Lomequian in West Turkana, uh, Kenya, uh, dated 3.3 million years old. So if we believe that this is uh, true, which there is also a lot of controversy going around this, and we can discuss that in the end if you have interest, but if we believe this is true, then uh, the pre-old the pre one mm, seems to be out there. Um, just to give a perspective um, about the 
or concerning the question of who were the first tool uh, users and makers and uh, how many hominin species were out there. We, we, for a long time, uh, we had the idea of this uh, linear, linear evolution of culture and uh, material culture, I mean, and that uh, uh, Homo habilis was definitely associated with the first tools and then there was a sort of increasing complexity. Uh, things are obviously changing and here you can see uh, in this diagram, I am I'm already missing uh, Omo Naledi, that just was just uh, published this year, but uh, you have in blue the oldest uh, direct evidence until very recently of stone tools, and there you can see that Gali was suggested to be the tool uh, maker, but you have other uh, likely candidates that could be also associated with assemblages. And then at 3.3, we have first indirect evidence and now the stone tools. And here again, uh, Sonia Armai is suggesting that Kenyotropus platyops will be the uh, author of these assemblages. But you can see here that uh, it's very, uh, would be very uh, not surprising that Australopithecus afarensis would be also using tools, right? So there is, is there a bias against direct evidence prior to 2.6 million years old? And when we think about exploring this, uh, um, trying to know more about this, uh, getting better ev evidence or knowing more about this topic, which, which indirect evidence can we really explore? Because we are quite limited in uh, this regard. Um, I think there are three main avenues that you can pursue who are interested in the topic. One is, is, is study the morphological requirements for stone tool making and stone tool use. And there is a lot of good people out there doing this, I'm sorry, doing this work. Um, <laughs> doing this work, uh, um, especially uh, Alba and Sergio Almesi have, have done a lot of work about, uh, about this. Um, Second of all, you have neural adaptations for tool using and manufacturing. Probably Dietrich Stout is the most known researcher that has been trying to understand what happens uh, in your brain when or what, what do you need uh, uh, to have uh, in terms of neural adaptations to be able to produce stone tools, at least the stone tools that we have in the old one. And then the last avenue uh, is really to approach stone, uh, tool use in extent uh, to uh, non-human primates. Um, going briefly to uh, the primate archaeology approach, I think it's uh, important to make the point that this is really uh, an interdisciplinary field of, of research. It did start, like Elizabeth mentioned, by uh, really um, an archaeologist that really loved chimpanzees and wanted to study chimpanzees and it, that was not a very scientific reason, so the, the scientific reason had to be found. Obviously, there was a lot of foundational work before the work I, I started from archaeologists that went to Africa and studied and described uh, uh, tools used by chimpanzees, but those archaeologists were not really interested in, in observing chimpanzee behavior, and that might have been the difference. Um, so a lot of the work in the last 10 years have, uh, is done um, or has been done in West Africa, especially in Guinea-Conakry, I'm going to show you. Uh, but a lot of work is also uh, ongoing in the East, in Kenya, in Lake Turkana, because it's really important if you are using uh, living primates to understand technology that you really also understand the old one and the pre-old one. And if you believe that the pre-old one is out there, somebody has to go out there and find it. 
and that also did not exist until 2008. There was nothing going on uh, in these archaeological sites, so nobody was going to look for these things. Um, and then I'm not going to talk about today, but there is an extension of all of this uh, overall uh, framework uh, of, human, of, of human evolution and paleoanthropology with the extension of different avenues of research that we are starting in Mozambique. But today I'm going to sh I, I hope to show uh, most of the work that we have been uh, doing in Guinea and some of the work that we do in uh, Kenya too. So uh, to contextualize the field sites, um, there are two main field sites, but uh, most of my work is done uh, in uh, Bosu, Guinea. We have now the Ebola outbreak, so unfortunately we are completely uh, forbidden to go back until, um, until, until uh, the, it's more um, uh, salt. Sorry. And uh, there is another forest in uh, Guinea called the Eke, where chimpanzees use different tools to crack different nuts. And this was the, also the focus of my PhD uh, study. This was a forest where there was no previous research, so very difficult uh, to work on. Uh, but a lot of the work I have been doing is actually with the chimpanzees in uh, Bosu. And then we have the Kobifora area, where we have one of one, one, one uh, field school going on every year, uh, where is, well, it's one of the very known uh, um, sites in Africa for uh, the origins of uh, hominins and for the earliest assemblages. Here we are excavating actually a trail of footprints that is 1.5 million years old. And... There is another avenue of research that is very important, which is actualistic experimentation, and I do some experimentation also uh, with human subjects re with regard to uh, what, the, what are supposedly the simple and ru rudimentary technologies. Um, so let's go back to uh, chimpanzees and why chimpanzees. So you, I'm sure you know that chimpanzees are not the only primates uh, that use tools, orangutans use tools, and if we focus on stone tool use, which is, which is at the moment the best option for, for, for my point of view because I have common, common raw materials between the archaeological record and the present, if you think about stone tool use, then I'm sure you know that capuchins, capuchin monkeys, and long-tailed macaques in Thailand are also uh, stone tool users. However, if you look at this map, this shows most of the, or the most important chimpanzee sites across Africa. So the chimpanzee distribution is really around the tropical belt of Africa and ends here. This is the, the most west, uh, eastern point where you find chimpanzees in, in Uganda, Budongo Kibale. And if you look here, these are all long-term sites. Some of them, like our site with uh, 40 years of research, or Gombe, Jane Goodell with 50. Um, and there is no single... Uh, chimpanzee population that when you start studying after a while tool use will not be reported for it will not emerge which is not the case for any of the other species so it's really a generalist feature across all chimpanzee populations and the interesting thing might be that these tool use even though there is a lot of variation and what is supposedly different uh, cultural traditions but the interesting thing is that this tool use is reported independently of the habitat type. So you have populations in tropical forests and populations like in, um, uh, in Senegal, uh, living in open savanna. Uh, the, independent of group size, small groups, huge groups, uh, the presence of predators, of uh, hunting behaviors, etc. 
Chimpanzees are also the only, um, the only tool users besides humans that have flexible and complex tool use so that they can use sequential uh, uh, tools in a sequential way to achieve a goal or uh, multifunctional tools or create the, the so-called tool composites to, uh, to, to also reach a goal and are the only ones that we have uh, some dated archaeological records from uh, Thai forests uh, about 4,000 uh, years ago. So this is why uh, chimpanzees. Then I have been focused mostly um, on, the on the nut cracking behavior and the, 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 this behavior uh, has been reported uh, only for West Africa, despite the fact that chimpanzees do have available stones and nuts in uh, the remaining part of Africa. And this is one of the uh, reasons why it's, uh, it's, it's, it's claimed to be a cultural uh, difference, a cultural tradition. Uh, and Cameroon is obviously not really West Africa, but uh, the, the evidence for Cameroon is anecdotal. And by now, this was 2006, by now, 10 years later, there is no other evidence, so we, we suspect there is something actually with the report from Cameroon. But here is very consistent, and all these populations of chimpanzees use stone tools, um, but only in these two places, Guinea and Ivory Coast, we have long-term uh, studies on this behavior, and so where you can actually get systematic uh, data. So I think it would be interesting to see uh, what is uh, like chimpanzees using uh, tools in, in stone tools in the forest? Um, this video has several very important points. One is that you see the, a, juvenile, a juvenile male picking up the nuts. These are all pile nuts in the forest of Bosu, a very disturbed uh, forest at the moment, actually secondary vegetation. Uh, but the point is that this is what you get if you are following chimpanzees in the forest and then you want to record this type of behavior, right? You have to quickly take your camera out. He is going to a different place where he has the stones. Most of the time he's going to turn the, 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 the back to you because he doesn't want to be bothered, obviously. I, I wouldn't like also that somebody is behind me all the time trying to check what I'm doing. Um, so it's actually difficult to see the, the, the details of this. I stopped the video without wanting, sorry. Um, so it's quite difficult to get the details. Sometimes we can get good details. This is uh, our previous uh, alpha male. He, 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 he heard some noise, that's why he stopped cracking. He is cracking uh, all these oil palm nuts. This is quite exceptional that he is using an outcrop as an anvil. Um, and here is the juvenile male again, um, cracking nuts. Sometimes we can get really a good close records. Um, another important feature is how social is to use in chimpanzees, right? It's very rare that we are going to uh, find chimpanzees alone using tools. This is really a social behavior. Uh, here you can see how, how important is observation and how important is that the adult is being so tolerant towards the infant that sometimes even makes it difficult for you to, 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 to do the, the, the nut cracking. Uh, this happens all the time and they can spend ages observing very closely, mostly mothers but also other individuals. 
uh, and we have done some uh, quite quite a, uh, some work on that. So here here I, I was lucky because this is actually a secondary vegetation. There is some visibility, and you can actually see that you have all the group uh, or some some individuals of the group together, and not everybody is really using tools. Some are using tools. Some are playing. Um, so there is there is a lot going on, right? There is another individual again that is. Um, uh, observing. Sometimes this behavior also means I really want to use those stone tools. Um, so this is how it looks like uh, when uh, you follow chimpanzees in the forest and you try to record this uh, um, nutcracking behavior. Now, because it was so difficult to, 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 to get the fine details of this behavior, um, in 1988, and I should have said this in the beginning of, of, of my talk, uh, Kyoto University and the, the Japanese uh, researchers that actually are the founders of this site in Guinea had a brilliant idea. I think it's quite a good idea, even though we can also discuss if it's 100% ethical, but they decided to start something called the Outdoor Laboratory in this forest in Guinea. What, what is the Outdoor Laboratory? It's really a place in the top of this uh, um, hill, which is quite in the center of the, the home range of these chimpanzees and right in the middle of the, of the village. This is a sacred um, mountain in the village where normally locals don't enter. Um, so the chimpanzees go a lot to this, uh, to this particular hill. And then on the top of this hill, we clear a location from vegetation. And, in, and now we have very fancy chairs where we can sit and etc. But we build a, a screen of vegetation, and we place cameras in different uh, uh, positions with different zooms, and so we have an amazing um, view of the chimpanzees using uh, stone tools for the purpose of uh, research and find records. We also have the possibility of tracking very uh, closely the movements of all these stones that we mark with numbers, and so it's a great. Um, a great approach between field and lab, uh, between a field and lab approach. Um, so if you work in the outdoor laboratory of our forest, this is then how it looks like. You have a very clear view of the stones that you want to uh, study and of the behavior you want to study. You know that that is stone 32 and you can follow the fate of that stone for years and years. Actually, this same set of stones has been was there for about 20 years. Um, and you can see different individuals. There is a lot of uh, social interactions going on that are also very um, easy to, to, to record. Um, and here is another nice view of what we can do with the data. You can, you can study the development of usewear traces. You can study the kinematics of this behavior. You can do so much from just the footage of, of this behavior. Um, and obviously, we also do records on site after the chimpanzees using uh, the tools, like mapping the, all the movement, the special anal uh, analysis of, of this type of tool use, etc. But this is why uh, this uh, uh, outdoor laboratory is such a unique uh, opportunity um, and when you have this opportunity, you are also able to see behaviors like this and to actually question what is this about. So this is, again, the alpha male of this community. 
that is uh, storaging a whole pile of cool nuts that we um, put uh, in the outdoor lab for uh, to actually test preferences because these cooler nuts are not available normally for uh, these chimpanzees in the forest of Bosu, but they have been exposed to this type of nut for almost 10 years. So he wants to storage all, all the, the whole 20 nuts that are there, but not only he wants to do that, but he also is going to pick one hammer and one anvil with one hand and one foot. And then, because he's so loaded, he's going to have to walk bipedally to another, in bipedal position, to another <laughs> place, right? So this, um, this type of behavior was then the focus of a study uh, on the origins of bipedalism that would have never been possible if we didn't have this type of uh, condition uh, to record chimpanzee behavior. I will get there in a moment, hopefully. Um, so this chimpanzee net cracking and technical behavior uh, in Bosu is very, very special. So uh, I, I think I can say there is no other place in the world where you can study many of the aspects of the origins of, the, of technology, and some of the reasons for this are really simple. One is that chimpanzees in Bosu is the only place where chimpanzees use a pair of movable stones to net crack. If you go to the forest of Thai uh, in Ivory Coast, chimpanzees will be using most of the time outcrops as anvils, because in primary forest, it's rare to find uh, objects like this. Um, the fact that they use two uh, objects in combination uh, means that they are more likely to transport tools, means that the, uh, it's more likely that this object is going to fracture when you uh, hit uh, uh, the object with your hammer. It's more likely that episodes or accidental episodes are going to occur that may give or shed light into some uh, unintentional uh, um, uh, and intentional behaviors that may produce uh, one tool from the combination of these two tools, right? So if you really want to understand what happened in the, in the, in the, in the beginning of time, this population, this location might be really a unique sort of, 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 of um, uh, possibility. So yeah, so this is an exclusive of Bosu, and we already know from previous studies that chimpanzees are, are selective, of the tools they use, of the stones they use, and so they don't pick randomly any, uh, just a, a stone around to use as an anvil or a hammer. They actually uh, select these tools based on characteristics like size, weight, etc. This is well studied. Uh, and the, it's also well studied that they, they combine systematically the same pair of stones. That is individual and, uh, I mean, that is uh, this systematic reuse of, 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 the, of what we call tool composite, the nut cracker, happens when we look at data uh, at the population level and individual level. It's really a trait uh, in this community. A lot of this work, a lot of my work here is done in collaboration with uh, Dora Biru. Um, she's in zoology here in Oxford and we have been working together for many years before I came uh, here to Oxford. Um, so the idea uh, now would be to give you, I don't want you to feel overwhelmed with a lot of data and graphs and all of that, but I, I do want to show the main uh, contributions of, of, of some of the most important studies that we have been doing. 
so don't feel then uh, after this slide obliged to 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 think too much about each uh, each uh, um, uh, slide in terms of uh, the amount of data that it may have, but it's the, the important is to take home message is that uh, there is a body of evidence that is out there for 10 years and there is a lot ongoing at the moment. But um, so like I said, a lot of the previous work uh, that we did with chimpanzees it, it did provide important data for archaeologists. Uh, features of tools, of tool sites, uh, regional variation, tool selection, reuse transport. I want to show some of these. Uh, and served also as an empirical base for, for current cross-comparative studies that are now ongoing, actually, some of them in Oxford, uh, applying uh, primate archaeology to also uh, the assemblages used by capuchins and long-tailed macaques in uh, Thailand. Long uh, capuchins, obviously, in uh, Brazil. Um, so one of the uh, one of the studies or the first studies that uh, was considered uh, uh, within the, this this uh, emergent field of primate archaeology was uh, the study that came from uh, the, my master um, uh, research. So basically, the application of this uh, chain operatoire framework to understand uh, the, the, the the operational sequence of nut cracking. Uh, this was important because. Um, the chain operator work is used in archaeology to understand how tools are produced, the, the sequential process, and is, this is now being picked up uh, for an, an, a following up study on understanding if chimpanzees have actually cumulative culture or if cumulative culture is really uh, 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 unique to humans, as it's claimed by uh, has been claimed by many researchers. So there is a flexible chain of events that happen. Chimpanzees are very flexible and adaptable, but the main, the key points of the of this uh, operation are repeated and are always present. And ultimately, the tools that are not functional anymore are discarded, and an archaeological site will be formed and will be left behind that is possible to study and excavate. Another important, I think, uh, relevant outcome of that study was that um, the strategies of exploitation of these nut-tracking sites actually match what has been, to some extent, described to, 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 uh, for hominins and for the old one. Uh, and what happens is that chimpanzees show these systematic uh, uh, strategies, these three types of strategies, regardless of the fact that you do your study in the uh, experimental area or if you go study the nutcracking sites in the forest, which I also did. Uh, basically, uh, one strategy that is the maximum optimization of resources where the individual doesn't... The, uh, the individual goes closer to the food source, which is the tree, and sits there and doesn't have to transport any um, elements. And there is a second one where the individual transports only one of the two uh, elements to a further location. And then a third strategy where normally subordinate individuals are obliged to transport both nuts and stones to a much further location to be able to actually access the resources and not being chased away by the alpha male. Um, and so this gave also archaeologists a very, I think, a new chance to think about social dynamics of what happens if you excavate a site along uh, a nutcracking site of humans and you want to understand what happens in the distribution of uh, or the explanation of the distribution or use of these sites. Um, we also looked at regional variation uh, 
at a very broad uh, level in the sense that they don't get overwhelmed with this uh, uh, chart. This is just basically, this is just highlighting um, nine sites where stone tool use has been reported for chimpanzees and for each site we are uh, uh, picking on all the variation in terms of the presence of, of, of different tool types, of the species, species of nut that is cracked, of the type of raw material of rock that is used, etc. Uh, and this led to the conclusion that something so simple as nut cracking, a very uh, simple percursive activity, um, has the same or, or is the same activity across all these sites, and the target is also the same, but uh, these individuals are using different raw materials and different tools to do the same activity. And one of the very simple variables that may be explaining all this is the type of food that, of the type of nut that you are accessing, because uh, nuts are of very different, uh, uh, have very different uh, uh, hardness. And uh, if you are accessing very hard nuts, you are going to use or need uh, much larger tools to uh, access the food source. Um, then, going back to the video that you saw of a chimpanzee moving around bipedally, I'm not going to, to, to show all the details of the study, but I just would like to uh, mention that, so that behavior led us to do a, a, test, a test in the field of the caring hypothesis. The caring hypothesis has, has been um, there for a long time as one of the possible explanations for why we uh, uh, became uh, bipedal creatures um, and uh, so we had the opportunity to test this in different uh, uh, with three different uh, um, running three different experimental conditions but the main point here is that certain foods in this case a novel food like I explained the new type of nut that we are providing to these chimpanzees that they really like are, are, are illicit transportation and the carrying of larger quantities of nuts and tools. So the bouts of trans, the bipedal transport per hour per individual increase significantly when uh, there is this high competition to get to these more, we call it in the paper, valuable resources and unpredictable resources because these individuals can't predict when these nuts are going to be available and everybody wants to get them uh, 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 at once because they don't know if they are going to find them the day after. Um, and also the number of items carried per bout when they walk bipedal it's very significant significantly increases when these individuals are uh, 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 walking bipedal so they are able to carry much more obviously when uh, they walk bipedal compared with the other um, uh, locomotion types. Um, Another uh, piece of work came from the analysis of, or the spatial analysis of chimpanzee nutcracking sites. Um, this is one of the examples. This is, a, this is an example of a natural site in the forest where uh, I would go every day or every couple of days uh, and I would just record in a combination of if the chimpanzees were there, I would record directly what was happening. If the chimpanzees were not there, I would record the movement of, the, of, of, of what happened there in the tools in my absence, in my, in, 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 during my absence. So it is very possible to do it. It's very possible to know the function of each tool if the chimpanzees are not there. So what we found, and each color here means a different visit to the site and a different position of the same tools. So what we found is that 
uh, there is also a pattern uh, in terms of the probability of finding tools in these sites um, if we are talking about anvils or hammerstones. So the probability of finding a uh, tool decreases as distance uh, uh, as distance increases from the origin of the of the of the food source, the palm tree, right? And anvils are more likely to be found closer to the tree, which makes sense. They are the heavier elements also, whereas hammers had a wider distribution, uh, but beyond 10 meters, tools are rare. And this is important. We, we don't have much of this data for the old one sites. Um, and we, 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 it was the first time that this data has, was being provided with regard to uh, percursive technology, I, I mean, actually, either for chimpanzees or for uh, humans. Uh, then I would like to also mention briefly some studies that are really in preparation, have not been, I mean, they are, they are, they are, they, they are ongoing, but there are some interesting highlights coming from these studies. So one is that one day we decided to give the chimpanzees uh, in, in, the, in the experimental area uh, stones that they normally don't have in the forest of Busu. This, is, this was because in in East Africa, where uh, I work, um, hominins were using a lot, or preferentially, basalt as a raw material to make tools and to, to, to use tools. Um, and chimpanzees in Bosu, they don't have this type of raw material, and the raw materials that they have are actually very, can be considered very poor raw materials. This laterite and dolerite and... They are very bad raw materials. Even if you want, you will not be able to make a flake, for example, out of these stones. They just don't fracture in a way that allow you to make flakes. Uh, on the other hand, basalt will, will, very, well, uh, will, will very well allow you to do that. Um, the, just the interesting thing about this is that when we introduce these um, new raw materials to uh, um, the chimpanzees in Bosu, actually, I must say, I also brought flint from Europe, and really they didn't like it at all. They didn't touch it. But the basalt from the first session, and this was quite surprising because chimpanzees can be quite neophobic, and uh, we repeated, so we, we, first we saw the number of selections across all sessions, then we saw just the number of selections across just first choices for each session when they had everything available. Um, and still, it holds exactly the same result. They went for this new... Uh, uh, raw material from the first time they saw it, and after they tried it, they kept going and they kept preferring this material. So they seem to be able to discriminate some properties of stone tools, and we have now a, a, a following up study that is actually looking at the, at, at the chimpanzee ability to discriminate mechanical properties of rocks that are not visible to the eye, and that hominins were very good in uh, discriminating and when they had to select raw materials to transport uh, during long distances, right? So things like durability, how good is this uh, block, how long is this going to last if I have to walk 10 kilometers with something really heavy? Uh, and from that following up study, it seems that chimpanzees are also able to discriminate these properties that are really invisible, apparently. So we don't, we don't know very well why. But we did try to know a little bit about why was this happened. So we took uh, something called the Schmidt hammer to Guinea that is used to actually do what is called a rebound test. It's basically to test the hardness of, of materials. Either you, know, you can try it on a tree, on a rock, anywhere. And the, 
one of the things that we know is that uh, the, the basalt from Copifora is much, much, much harder than any of the other rocks. So it's, it's smoother, it's harder. Uh, now we would have to check if it's more efficient, if it's better, and if you can uh, actually crack more nuts with uh, less bouts, uh, or if you can use this tool during a longer period than these other tools. Um, this is getting very uh, sort of techy, I don't want to, but this is just to give an, um, also an overview of several studies that were just, just done this year and others that are um, um, ongoing. On a very, it's, I must say, this part of the work, I like it, but it's not really what I prefer to do, but it's really important and somebody has to do it because while you will not develop new analytical methods to recognize this type of percursive technologies, you will never be able to find the pre-old one or you will never be able to go out there to survey uh, uh, rocks that are older than 2.6 if you find a likely anvil, but nobody really can tell if what you see there is just made by nature or what you see there was made with intention. This is because this type of tool is not modified prior to use, just by use. So these are the most difficult tools to actually recognize uh, when you are out there. And there was nothing that we, this was also the poor parent of technology during a long time. It's only now that we came a hot scientific topic. Uh, so we did. We, we we got together with somebody really good in uh, in doing uh, uh, digital elevation models and, and using GIS. And Alfonso Benito Calvo from Spain uh, uh, did help us to put together a very nice uh, uh, analysis on uh, the first chimpanzee assemblage that was uh, actually analyzed uh, using these techniques. And the, the important thing here is that Alfonso never saw the, behav the behavioral data or never saw a chimpanzee using these tools. He didn't even know what these tools were. I mean, he knew it was not cracking tools, but he didn't know what was an anvil or what was a hammer. Um, and so it was a sort of blind test. And in the end, with this analysis, he could come up with a very accurate distinction of what were the passive and active elements, so what were anvils, hammers, and what was double function, etc., which is really impressive, and also this opened the way, finally, to be able to compare assemblages between humans and non-humans with these techniques. Um, this is... I hope I don't have more studies to show you. We must be really tired. Okay, this is the last. This is the last one uh, from the chimpanzees, and I, I, I really hope to have time to finish this study very soon because it's really interesting. But it's uh, it's the beginning of uh, an analysis that is looking that is looking at trying to match tools and behavior. It's part of the the, the, the previous. Um, study that I showed you with Alfonso Benito Calvo, so it's a, a, a collaboration also with colleagues at the UCL, Ignacio de la Torre. So what we did here, it's again a, a blind test. They analyzed the tools. Um, let me see if I explain this without spending too much time. So they analyzed the tools in the lab in the UCL and gave each tool a PA index, which is the percentage of the artifact that has been affected by the use, right? And so they gave an index to each tool um, and then I analyzed the behavior, the videos, the, the, the coded the videos, and uh, got the behavioral data. When we put the, the or, or try to match the data, let's go just to look at two examples here, which is the tool that has 
the lowest percentage of, of uh, or the lowest uh, PA index and the tool that has been said to have the highest PA index, okay? So this is, according to archaeologists, the tool that uh, was used less. It has 1.28 1, 1 uh, uh, per, uh, percentage of uh, PA index. And this tool is supposedly the highest, 77.65 is the highest uh, um, uh, percentage. If you look at the number of sessions where this tool, uh, number of times this tool was, uh, um, sessions that this tool was selected uh, in the experimental sessions with the chimpanzees in, in Bosu, you see that this tool was used during 358 minutes, while the other one was used by, during 28 minutes, right? Uh, how many strikes for this tool? 3,607, and for these, 161. And finally, how many nuts? 923 for this tool, and for this one, 27. So, okay, there is something really wrong, either with what we are doing, or with uh, use wear analysis from archaeologists, because um, really the, the, the tool that has the highest PA index, and this uh, holds for, uh, for several other tools, was almost not used at all. Uh, it's important to say that these two tools are the same raw material, so I cannot even give an explanation that one raw material is it's, it's, uh, um, it's much more durable than the other, or uh, a harder rock. So the, the raw material is not explaining variation. What we are now trying to see is that individual variation can explain this. So if different individuals using different strengths to hit the nut can explain this type, the different type of, of wear in the tools, and if this is true, then we have a long way to explore to help the archaeological record to get more accurate reading. Okay, so we, we are in, in here, I think we are just creating confusion for the archaeologists, which we hope um, it's, not, it's, it's going to be um, uh, sorted soon. Um, do I have another like, five minutes? Okay. I, I would like now to sort of leave the chimpanzees. There is a lot going on. We have, we have studies now ongoing uh, trying to test some of the key variables that are still out there to be tested in terms of, of human evolution uh, and behavior. For example, transport. Transport that is almost the last uh, uh, key feature that has, has been said to be so different in, uh, in, in early human technology because at two million years ago, hominins were already able to walk 14 kilometers uh, uh, during transport, and chimpanzees are not able to do this, apparently. We are currently on the way of to, to test this with using, well, using complex technology, micro-GPS devices, and following the, the, the stone tools in the forest uh, of Bosu uh, in, uh, using remote technology. And we will be able to test if what archaeologists have is the, is the real data, or what we have is really, you know, what we'll find is a really a, a, a series of short bouts of transport that in the end becomes something very long if you, if you are not present uh, to watch the, what happens uh, daily. Um, so there is a lot going on, but I would like to also move during the last minutes of the talk to uh, East Africa, uh, because I also think it's really, really uh, important that we uh, go to Kenya, Kobifora, and I would like to show you um, I thank um, one of my colleagues, Jonathan Reeves, that did this uh, wonderful 3D. Um, hopefully, it's going to work. 
Yes, here we go. So we are going here to uh, the east side of Lake Turkana to a, a archaeological site called FWGGJJ52. It's a complex name. Uh, we go to the north of these deposits around the Lake Turkana where we, we work normally um, to an area that has uh, geological deposits from called the Tullabor uh, um, member that dates from three point, about 3.6, and you could see there um, on the top of, the, of, the, of that hill. Um, okay, that's, that's okay. Uh, the, the, the end of that uh, uh, 3D reconstruction was showing the top of this hill where we started excavating a site in 2013 here, where we have, um, b back there you have something well called the geological disconformity that is above the excavation site. Um, and on the bottom here, you have these sands that are about three meters uh, above what we call the Tullabor Tuff, which is basically a layer of ashes from a, a volcanic eruption. And this layer of, ash of ashes are extremely well dated across uh, all East Africa. That's why you have so many uh, good studies uh, and most dates for fossil hominins. In this case, you can use uh, argon, argon, etc., to date these ashes. Uh, and so we know very well uh, um, the, the stratigraphy and the, the chronology of these uh, of this segment, so we know that we, we know that what we are uh, that we have the Tullabor Tuff there that is 3.6 million, and we know that we are excavating a site that has in situ artifacts um, uh, close by. Um, what was interesting in this site was that we found some um, of the first and most interesting pounding tools that were found. Uh, in uh, earliest assemblages in archaeological excavations. Well, we have clearly something that is, uh, with no doubt, a, a, a pounding tool. It's actually similar to the pounding tools we, we have, we see uh, chimpanzees using, but I don't want to say more than that. But I must say that a few um, days ago, uh, we received uh, some of the preliminary uh, dating from uh, the geologists using paleomagnetic uh, techniques for the site, and it seems that this site is really older than 2.6. We don't know if our site is as old as the rival team, no, the, the French team uh, uh, excavating <laughs> in uh, west in the west of the lake. We were all searching for the for 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 the same things, but we think it's going to be close uh, to, to the same date. So this is very exciting. We seem to have something that is older than the old one, and we found this because finally we went to survey uh, deposits that uh, archaeologists normally didn't go because they said there is nothing out there before. I would like to just finish to give um, um, a, little, a, a, a short highlight about the field experiments that I try to run every summer also in, during the within this Kobe for a field school uh, with human subjects. Um, this is um, something that started just as a um, um, part of the field school and then I took it more seriously because uh, the, there is the, this premise that um, oh, sorry. 
I wanted to show another slide that is not here. Okay. Uh, that, that is the premise that this technology, uh, the combination of an anvil and a hammer to open uh, a nut is really something very simple. So I guess any of you here can do it or could do it. Um, so if you have never tried it, which, which, I mean, in my generation, everybody would have tried it at, at some point in life, but I, I believe that now maybe that changed. But if you have never tried it, that's what we do. We pick and select subjects that are completely naive to any type of, of, of stone technology and particularly to, to percussive activities, so to net cracking. Uh, and we have been recording over the years uh, what happens when we ask the subjects to uh, successfully use uh, uh, these um, uh, tools, actually in a setting that is very similar to, to what we have also. So this, this subject first didn't know that she has to use an anvil um, to crack nuts, right? So she tries to do it on the sand, doesn't work. Then she, she, she picks, obviously, an anvil that is not functional. Then she, then she doesn't know that you have to use, to have to strike, so she tries to use pressure, which is something un, un, unbelievable for me. But, okay, but, but the important thing here is that I don't want to make this look like we are making fun <coughs> of something. Or also, when I show this video, a lot of colleagues say, is this real? I mean, and I say, yes, the, after four years of records, what you are seeing here is not an exception. Uh, Humans that are naive to this behavior are really, really not efficient when faced with this apparent very simple task. Obviously, if we talk about learning curves, it's going to be dramatically different between uh, humans and non-humans. Humans are very fast learners. But, so this is a very painful video. I don't want to <laughs> continue. There is, well, there is more after, um, so, so this subject takes very, a very long time to be successful, I think maybe 300 bouts to open a nut or something like that, right? And then there is, and then there is another subject after after this that is that is equally um, very um, inefficient. Uh, and then there is, I'm showing this because this is was a student of mine, so I'm I am I have the permission. I shouldn't show videos that where you can see the, the person, obviously, but. Uh, this is just to show um, the outcome of some of our experiments. So this is another uh, subject, uh, and there is no information given apart from the fact that you have all of these tools and you are asked to use whatever you want to successfully uh, open these nuts. Uh, this individual decided to, despite the fact that he has about 30 available options, he decided to build an anvil, <laughs> right? Which also doesn't work. I mean, initially it seems that it works. And now he's going to uh, try again, and then he's going to break the tool. Anyway, so for me it was important today, I thought, to bring this, um, it's a side part of the research, but really important if you want to complement what you do in the field with looking at non-human primates and then what you do also with um, the past. Um, so, end of the talk, just to say that 
well, we didn't really, I don't want to pass the idea that we, I founded a new field of research. We didn't study the archaeology of new humans. That was started by colleagues that excavated the first archaeological sites of chimpanzees. But we did uh, contribute with uh, the first studies uh, that combined ethology and archaeology um, in the same research. Uh, we did contribute with the first surveys in uh, rocks that are older than 2.6 in East Africa uh, with probably what is the first uh, data on modern primate site uh, formation and on leaking certain types of behaviors to type of assemblages and types of, and, and, and function of certain tools. Um, and we are very hard, I mean, we are working very hard to try uh, to come up with new analytical methods that can recognize these older technologies and can make this field more scientific. So thank you so much for your attention.